Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Great, so we're halfway through our great love series. Uh, You enjoying this? Are you feeling more loved? Good. Our hope with this series is that we connect in a deeper way with uh, the love of God, because God is the source of love. The first talk we did, we said love is, is an intrinsic attribute of God's character. He can't be anything else but love. He is love. He doesn't feel loving. He isn't loving. He is love. He's the source of love. And any love you feel in your life is a, is a, is a shadow of what he, he is and what he bestows upon us through... The, what's the term we use? Remember that long word? I didn't think you would. Communicable attributes, remember? Oh, yes, oh, yes, yes, we did that. It's one of the things of his character that he communicates with us, and we, and we bear his image, and we bear some of that love that he is in ourselves. So we experience the love of God, whether we choose to follow him or not. Any experience we have of love in this life uh, comes from God. And last week we looked at, um, at where is the love. It's located in, in the Father's house. We looked at the story of the prodigal father, and, and how the son went away and came back and then experienced the lavish love of the father who welcomed him in, uh, the son who was lost and then was found and restored into the family. Well, today we're going to look at what happens when we meet that love, how that love changes us. And we're going to look at the story of a woman uh, in, uh, in our Bibles in Mark 5. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn there to Mark 5. And Jesus is traveling along and uh, he's got a large crowd of disciples all around him and followers, and, and, and a crowd that's amassed because I've heard about him. And a man called Jairus comes up to him and says, will you come and heal my daughter? She's sick. In fact, she's dying. She's so bad. And uh, so Jesus begins to make his way towards uh, Jairus' daughter with this large crowd following him. So let's pick the story up from, um, from Mark uh, verse 24. And I'll put it on the screens for you as well, so you can have a look. That should be Mark 5, not Matthew 5. I do apologise. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear. And she told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this story of this woman pressing through the crowd to touch the clothes of Jesus. A few years ago, I had a a thing on my bucket list. I wanted to go into the fireworks in London on New Year's Eve. So uh, I managed to 
convinced kids of a great idea. We went as a family. We had a friend who, who lived on the outskirts of London. The idea is we'd go down, we'd tube in, and then we'd stand on the banks and see the fireworks, and it would be just like it is on the telly. Guess what? It wasn't anything like the television. I knew it had problems, because as soon as we got onto the tube, you've got somebody's bottom in your face, you've got somebody here, this, like that. I looked across at Kiri, and there was this face of, of panic that was growing on her face, because she loves crowds with a passion. <laughs> in fact, she hates crowds. She can think of nothing worse. Anyway, I was saying, crowds and small places together are just generally bad. So um, anyway, I was like, it's going to be great. Come on, we're going to... So we tubed in, we hopped off the tube... 600,000 people making their way down to the South Bank to see the... Uh, and we've been swept along in the tide with the kids. Aren't, you know, where are the kids? The kids are all here somewhere. And I'm loving the vibe and loving the atmosphere, and she is hating it. <coughs> hating it. And we've just been swept along by this huge crowd, people pressing and sort of carrying us around, and, and it starts snowing above St Paul's, and I'm thinking, this is wonderful. Needless to say, we're never going to do that again. <laughs> because... Did you get anywhere near the fireworks? No, the fireworks were... A distant view. They were a very small set of fireworks because by the time we got there, literally, there were so many people there. But you can imagine that press of the crowd, can't you? You know, being in a crowd. If you have been to a football match or a, or a gig or a big concert and you've got that press of the crowd, you know, you, you're sort of people all around. And that's what Jesus was experiencing here, the press of the crowd. He was sort of making his way to Jairus' daughter, but he was surrounded by people, all these different people. And uh, in the middle of this situation... There's a woman. She's hidden in the crowd. And she's got this, this terrible condition. She's been bleeding, hemorrhaging nonstop for 12 years. And this meant, under the Levitical law that she lived under, she was ceremonially unclean. She'd been unclean for 12 years. And that meant that uh, she was effectively an outcast in society. Was a, this was a monthly burden every woman had to bear that for, for a while there were bleeding on their period, they were for seven days, they were classed as unclean. But this woman had been unclean for 12 years. It says in Leviticus, uh, when a woman is, is having that part of her cycle, she'll be unclean for seven days. And anyone who touches her will become unclean. And anything she touches will become unclean. So for seven days, any woman in that society already had a very difficult situation going for years. She'd been bleeding continually, nonstop. And so this rendered her permanently unclean. And this means, effectively, she was barred from the temple, she was barred from congregational worship, she was barred from connecting with the hub uh, of the community. And you can imagine most people also have shunned her because if they touched her, they would also become unclean. If anything she touched, she sat on, became unclean. And so you imagine that people would give her a wide berth for fear of contaminating themselves and also becoming ceremonially unclean. In fact, you could say that she's probably been treated in the same category as someone who was suffering from leprosy. That's in the category she was in at this particular time in this community. And to compound that, the scripture says that she'd also suffered a great deal under many doctors. She'd spent all she had trying to get better. This woman was desperate, she was vulnerable, and she was probably being exploited by innumerable people who said, we can get you better, just pay, we'll make you better. And she'd spent everything she had and probably been uh, abused uh, and exploited because of her desperate condition. And instead of getting better, the story tells us she, in fact, she was getting worse. And so she was a desperately vulnerable, isolated woman. But she heard 
about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. We talked last week, didn't we, about the younger son at his lowest point in his story when he was dying of starvation. He was out with the pigs. He was desperate to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything at all. And it's at that point he came to his senses. And at the lowest point in this woman's story, she has this moment of clarity. She hears about Jesus and thinks, there's something here, there's someone here, there's a hope here. And so she makes a plan. She makes a plan to intersect with Jesus, to somehow meet him in this great crowd. And she's probably physically very uh, weak. She's probably anemic. She uses what little energy she has to push through the massed crowd. Imagine trying to fight through a crowd to get to somebody. She pushes through the crowd, comes up behind Jesus, and manages to reach out and just touch his cloak. Touch his cloak, this tiny, tiny touch of his cloak. She says, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. This woman had incredible faith because she believed that just the tiniest touch of Jesus' clothes would bring restoration. This is how faith works, guys. The tiniest seed of faith can bring the biggest transformation. And somehow she gets close enough to reach out through the crowd and she manages just to touch him. Anonymously, she reaches out and touches his clothes. And immediately she feels like something's happened. There's been some sort of transaction Something has happened in her body. She feels like her bleeding has stopped. She feels like she's been healed. She feels like she's freed from suffering. And even though Jesus didn't see her in the crowd, he knows something has happened. He knows there's been a transaction. It says in the scriptures, he knew power had gone out from him. And the word for power used in your New Testament is the dunamis word, the kingdom power. The, power that, the word that we use to describe dynamite. That's the root word for the word dynamite. Something that's small but has incredible latent power. And so he knew the dunamis had gone out from him. The power of the kingdom had flown out from him into someone. It's the same word that we use when we say, let your kingdom come, your will be done in the Lord's prayer. Your power, let your power come. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. The dunamis power of the kingdom which was resident in Jesus, had flowed out through Jesus' cloak into this woman in the crowd. Now, we don't know what the woman felt. We don't know what Jesus felt. But we do know something had happened. There'd been a transaction. When we pray, God's kingdom come, we're never quite sure what's going to happen. Different people react in different ways. Some people shake. Some people are stock still. Some people laugh. Some people fall down. Some people run on the spot. Some people roar. We don't know what's going to happen when we pray kingdom come. But when the kingdom power comes, there is something that happens. And in this woman, she felt like healing had occurred. So Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Now you can imagine the disciples having to deal with difficult Jesus, can't you? Oh, here he goes again. Crazy Jesus, who touched me? Everybody touched you, Jesus. Everybody touched you. Can't you see the crowd that's around you? Everybody touched you. Everybody's touching you. How can you possibly say, who touched me? You can imagine their exasperation. We're trying to get to Jairus' daughter, remember? We're trying to get her healed, remember? And you're asking, who touched you? But Jesus wasn't directing the question at them, and he wasn't directing the question at the crowd. 
he was directing the question at the woman. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a big meeting and you feel like God's speaking directly to you? It feels like the talk's been written for you, or the word has been written for you. And in this crowd, Jesus was only addressing one person. He was addressing the woman. He wasn't expecting the disciples to answer that question. You see, Jesus is not satisfied with a power encounter. He wants a personal encounter. Jesus just didn't want the power to flow through him and out to this woman, and that was it. He wanted to personally encounter this woman. You know, if you just want God's power, then you can, you can kind of access that in different ways. But Jesus will always want a personal encounter. You can get prayer, you can fall down, you can shake, you can rattle, you can roll. But Jesus will always want a personal encounter with you. That's the primary thing he's looking for in your life. So you can go to conferences, you can go to prayer meetings, you can go to this, that and the other. But Jesus will always want the personal encounter. So the power in itself only goes so far. It only brings a certain amount of change in us. I've seen people shake and fall down and get up and live their lives exactly the same as when they went down. They just spent half an hour shaking. Nothing changed. They encountered God's power, but they didn't experience transformation. And Jesus is looking to bring transformation to the life of this woman. So the power has gone out of him. He knows something's happened. The physical healing has taken place. But Jesus wants more, and he won't move on until he gets it. He won't move on from that place. If you feel you're stuck with Jesus, if you feel you keep going around the same mountain, you're faced with the same situation, what is it you're wanting? Because in this situation, Jesus wouldn't move on until he'd had the personal encounter with the woman. If you find yourself in a situation where you're going around the same thing and you're stuck and you're cycling, Jesus, what do you want? What are you looking for? What's, what's, what's the thing that takes me deeper? So Jesus is looking and he's scanning the crowd. I'm guessing at this point he could have just called the woman out, couldn't he? He could have just said, it's you. Come on out. Don't hide in the crowd. Sometimes one of the frustrations of doing Holy Spirit ministry is you can see exactly what God is doing on who. But you, you can't just say, come on, it's you. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Stop messing about. Get down here. Let's pray. Because that would be abuse of power, wouldn't it? But sometimes you can see the very thing that God is doing as he rests on people, but the person doesn't want to respond. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for the woman to respond. He could have called her out, but he didn't want to call her out. He wanted something to happen, something to take place. Is this woman prepared to take one more courageous step? Is she prepared to step out of the crowd into the light, into the presence of Jesus? Her body had healed, but there's something greater at stake. Jesus wants to bring her into complete wholeness. He wants to do something more significant than just to stop the bleeding in her body. So Jesus waits. Who's going to blink first? Who's going to blink first? He waits. Sometimes when we do Holy Spirit ministry, we just wait. And it gets quite tense, doesn't it? And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who's going to blink first? And we just have to sometimes wait for God to come and do what he wants to do. Jesus waited for the woman. He waited. He wanted the woman to take the step that was going to bring transformation in her life. Can you imagine how the poor woman felt? (laughs) 
She's like, oh no, I've been rumbled. All I wanted to do was creep up behind him and touch his cloak and get healed. And now everything's stopped. Everything's stopped. And she can feel the world closing in around her. So this woman came up behind Jesus. She wanted anonymity. She wanted obscurity. She was already steeped in shame and rejection. She wanted just to do this thing and get away with it and get healing. But Jesus wanted to look into her eyes. Jesus wanted to connect with her personally. And so he waited. He waited. And eventually, in the story, it tells us she takes a step out of the crowd into the presence of Jesus. She falls at his feet and she's trembling with fear. She thinks, I've been found out. I'm in deep trouble. I'm in real trouble. She spent her whole life being in trouble, being rejected, being exploited, probably by men. And now here's another man in authority who's going to exploit her again, who's going to basically reject her, who's going to basically condemn her. So she falls at the feet of Jesus in fear. And the Bible tells her she tells him everything. She tells him the whole truth. Now, for a woman in this culture to come in front of a crowd and talk about something so incredibly personal would have been so, so costly. So costly. To talk about this very personal issue she'd struggled with, the rejection she'd felt, the condemnation she'd felt, coupled with the fact that she'd done this thing, she'd touched the hem of Jesus. she kind of got unauthorised healing. You have to imagine her situation, the, 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 the spotlight that would have been upon her in this story. But Jesus wasn't looking to expose her. He was looking to heal her. He wasn't looking to bring her out into the, in front of the crowd to basically humiliate her. He was looking to bring her into wholeness. And her humility, the fact she was prepared to come before him and lay her heart bare, basically opened the door for complete wholeness and healing. Jesus listened and he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The risk she takes has been rewarded. The word used here, the word for healing, is sozo. We've talked about it before. It's this composite word that means complete healing. Healing in every part, physical, emotional, spiritual. It means being put back together again. <coughs> so no, she wasn't only free from hemorrhaging, she was put back together again by Jesus Christ. And what I love about this story is that the fact that God has the power to bring real change. Real change. When we encounter real love, we get real change. Real transformation. This was a power encounter. The power went out from Jesus into this woman and it produced physical healing. But there was a greater healing that took place here, a greater healing of identity and restoration. And what I also find interesting about this story is that many people were touching Jesus. The crowd was around him. They were touching him, bustling him, connecting with him. But only one person in the story is touched by Jesus. Only one person is touched by Jesus. Many were traveling with him, journeying with him, jostling with him. But only one person in the story is actually touched by him. You see, there were many, many were journeying, but only one was expecting only one was expecting. Only one was expectant of Jesus doing something that day. The rest were sort of along for the ride. The rest were looking to see what Jesus did. They were interested by him. They were captivated by him, maybe. But only one 
was touched by him. Only one had expectation. And what we can see from this story, guys, is that being around Jesus, just being around Jesus isn't enough to bring change. Just being around Jesus, being around church, being around God's things isn't enough to bring change. We can journey with Jesus all we want to. But unless we allow him to touch us, then there isn't any real transformation. It just won't happen. We can pick up the cues, we can understand the flow, we can know what to expect. But unless we allow Jesus to touch us, then there is no real transformation. And in fact, if we just stay in the crowd and observe the miraculous, the reverse can happen. We can actually become less godly. We can actually become more hardened to things of the Spirit than if we weren't even there. In Mark 6, uh, the disciples see the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He takes the boys' picnic, the five loaves and the two fish. I often wonder what the boy thought about that, but... It's a different preach. Um, you know, the disciples say, thank you for that, bye. That's my lunch. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he takes the five loaves, two fish, he multiplies them and feeds the 5,000. So much so, there's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And the disciples are there and they're part of it. They distribute that miracle amongst this massive crowd. And they're part of it. And they see it happen. But then a few verses later, it says in verse 52, it said, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So they were part of the miracle, but for some reason they weren't touched by the miracle. And you can see the most incredible things God can do. You can stand and observe the most extraordinary healings. You can go to the most fantastic events and conferences and whatever else. You can listen to the most brilliant talks, most amazing worship. But unless it touches you, then it won't bring about transformation. In fact, your hearts could become hardened. You could become inoculated to the things of God. Because familiarity does breed contempt. And so if you're around God's things, and you're not allowing those God things to touch you or change you, eventually you'll become resistant to them. They'll become passe. They'll become things that you just say, well, I've seen it all. I've been there, done that. And your heart will become hardened. If we don't allow the things of God to really touch us and change us. We can just be in the crowd of church, in the crowd of religion, in the crowd of faith, and just be getting worse, just like the woman in the story. Because to be changed by love requires action. It requires action on our part to do something, to respond. The woman pushes through the crowd and she reaches out for Jesus. She pushes through adversity. She pushes through circumstance. She pushes through everything that says this isn't for you. You know, she's making people unclean left, right and centre as she pushes through that crowd. But she doesn't care because she wants to get to Jesus. She wants to touch Jesus. You know, how much pushing do you do to get into God's presence? How much pushing do you do to take hold of things that God's got for you? Or do you just sit in your chair and expect him to come? How much pushing through do we do to get the healing, to get the power of God? Her faith was active. It was desperate. And it directed her into the presence of Jesus. And when she was there, Jesus said, just one step more. One step more. You've come all this way, but will you step out of the crowd now? 
Would you step out of the crowd and receive the fullness of healing? And she took this courageous step, this massively courageous step, and she stepped out and she laid her heart bare before the king. The woman saw the, the crowd as a place to hide, a place of anonymity, a place to blend in. But Jesus called her out of it. He called her out of it into her real identity. And that identity wasn't shame and it wasn't exclusion and it wasn't humiliation. But it was wholeness, it was love, it was acceptance. And at some point we're all like the woman in the crowd, aren't we? We're all like the woman. We want to do faith in anonymity. We don't want the things of our hearts to be laid bare before God. We want to be able to just be in the crowd, blend in with the crowd. Just go along with the crowd, journey with Jesus. But at some point, sooner or later, he calls us out. He says, are you prepared to step out and come fully into the light, fully into my presence? And we all feel like sometimes God is speaking to us in the crowd. When Jesus said, who touched me? It had echoes of another question. Way back in the garden, after Adam and Eve had done the thing they weren't supposed to do, they hid, they were in shame. And Jesus came walking in the garden And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? God knew fully well where they were. He knew fully well they were hiding from his presence. Jesus knows fully well where this woman is. So who are you? Where are you? Who touched me? These are questions that are basically supposed to be answered by us responding and coming back into the presence of God. See, God knows exactly where you are, no matter how big the crowd is, No matter how obscure you're trying to be, God knows exactly where you are today. God could see you plain as day in the crowd. He knows you, everything about you. No matter, in fact, where we choose to hide, God knows where we are. God knows us. And you can be in the crowd and God can speak directly to you. Directly to you, just like he spoke to this woman. Who touched me? It was you, wasn't it? What do you want? What are you hungering for? And the question is, guys, will we let God call us out of the crowd into that place of personal intimacy with him where we really will be changed by his love? This woman took a massive step. She stepped out of the crowd into the light. She brought all her pain, all her shame, all her frustration, all her rejection. She brought it all out in front of Jesus. And she told him the whole truth. She kept nothing back. All her hopes and dreams, her frustrations, her lost expectations, everything came out. It must have been a torrent of emotion that she shed before Jesus. There's real power in confession. I'm not just talking about confessing sin, I'm talking about there's real power in confessing from our hearts where we are, who we are, what just just confessing. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's not a religious mantra, that's not a rhetoric, that's not just some sort of um, spell that you say and that makes you better. The writer of Romans, Paul, is just saying, confession is all of us. It's mouth, it's body, it's everything. We bring it all to Jesus. When we bring it all to Jesus, he saves us. He brings a sozo, he brings a complete healing. The Greek that's used for this woman's 
uh, illness in this passage is the same word that's used to describe the, the scourge. The scourge was the uh, Roman whip that was used to... Um, well, basically, it was, a, it was a multi-stranded whip that was embedded with bits of steel and bone and hooks. And it was incredibly efficient at removing the flesh from your body. And so, if you're a criminal, uh, you could be scourged. The Romans had no limit to the amount of lashes that they could give you. And normally, if you were going to be crucified, you'd be scourged. And, the, and the, the real skill was, was to scourge you to within an inch of your life. So take enough flesh off your body so that you were virtually dead, but you weren't quite dead. That's what I got quite good at. And then you would be taken away to be crucified. So the illness that the woman was suffering from was the scourge. It was scourging her, had been scourging her for 12 years. When Jesus explains what will happen to him in Matthew 20, he says, I'll be... I'll be arrested, I'll be mocked, and I'll be scourged. And then I'll be crucified. So Jesus knew full well on his way to the cross that he would endure this horrific Roman torture, the scourge. The woman is scourged by her terrible condition, and Jesus is terribly scourged to bring us restoration. His scourging delivers us from our scourging. The scourge that he suffered set her free from the scourge that she'd endured. And if we're going to be set free from the things that scourge us, if we're going to be set free to be transformed and live in an identity that's ours, we have to come out of the crowd when Jesus calls. Because that's where we experience true love. We can't just touch him, we have to be touched by him. We can't just be journeying with him, we have to be expecting him to change us. We have to be expecting him to call us. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Because your hearts become hardened if you don't respond to the voice of Jesus. And if you feel God calling you out of the crowd this year or at this day, it's because he loves you. It's because he wants to bring true transformation in your life. He doesn't want to expose you. He doesn't want to humiliate you. He doesn't want to make an example of you. He wants to bring you into the fullness of his love. The fullness of your identity. The fullness of the security of what it is to live in the love of God. This woman is symbolic of us all at some point. We all get caught out of the crowd. We all come in with shame. We all come in with rejection. But Jesus is the one who wants to call us into our identity. So why don't we stand together and let the Spirit minister to us today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.